0: My name is Art Delgado, and I am the uh, coordinator of senior care and visitation, and the coordinator of equipping and mobilizing. And this morning, um, I'm going to uh, talk to you from the book of Galatians, and the title of my message is Keeping in Step with the Gospel. And the key concept is this when we internalize the Gospel and yield to the Spirit, we can walk as Jesus walked. And so I think one of the biggest struggles that we face in life is that of insecurity. Uh, Because we feel insecure around people, we become performance-driven and act in ways that will look good or powerful or smart or successful in order to win favor and in order to win the respect of others. Can you turn the mic down a little bit, please, Eric? Thank you. Um, And in a very real sense, uh, we become enslaved to the opinions of others. But we also do something similar with God, uh, trying to earn his favor by following religious traditions or by doing good deeds or perhaps by abstaining from a long list of things. And I believe that both of these issues, and especially the latter, come from a deep sense of our own sin and brokenness before God. Deep down, we want the relationship with him that we lost in Eden, but we want to earn it ourselves, which is impossible because. We will never know if we've done enough. We will never know if we're good enough. And thankfully, the gospel addresses both of these issues because it reconciles us to a right relationship with God through the person and work of Jesus, and because God's unfailing love satisfies our deepest need for love and security, it also restores us to a right relationship with others because now we relate to people from a sense of security rather than from a place of need and fear. And so how does what I'm talking about tie into our passage today? Well, after hearing and believing the gospel, the Galatian church started off on the right foot, walking in the newfound freedom and love purchased for them by Christ. But when false teachers came along saying that faith in Jesus wasn't enough, that you also have to do X, Y, and Z, they began to be swayed by them and they began to default back into a performance-based religion, back into a performance-driven lifestyle. And by doing so, they were putting themselves back under condemnation as lawbreakers because no one can keep God's law perfectly. And James 2:10 confirms this, saying, "Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it." They were in great spiritual danger, and so, like a parent who sees their child running toward a busy intersection, Paul acted swiftly and decisively, and he minced no words as he reminded them of the truth of the gospel, namely that right standing with God does not come from keeping the law, since everyone sins but only through faith in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Right standing with God does not come from keeping the law since everyone sins, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so my goal with this message is not so much to examine Paul's defense of the gospel, even though that is a big part of the letter, but to help us see how we can keep our lives in step with the gospel story, and I intend to get there in three parts. First is that I want to touch briefly on the how of the gospel. How was it accomplished, this end result that we now enjoy? Second, I want to show you the transformational power of the gospel by looking at Paul's life before the gospel and afterward. And then finally, I want to look at Peter, who temporarily lost sight of the gospel and began to walk in a manner that told people a different story about Jesus. So let's begin in verses 11 and 12, and then we'll consider the how. This is Paul, he says, "'For I would have you know, brothers, "'that the gospel uh, that was preached by me "'is not man's gospel, "'for I did not receive it from any man, "'nor was I taught it, "'but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ.'" And so, in the beginning of the letter, Paul first establishes his divine call, his call to apostleship from the Lord, and then he says his gospel came by direct revelation. But what I wanna talk about is how is that end result that we now enjoy, how was it accomplished? Was it just a standalone declaration from heaven? Did Paul receive a voice or a scroll or an angel came and told him, this is what I want you to say? Uh, Apparently, this is how it works in in some other religions. A uh, messenger comes to a chosen vessel and then they go and share that message with other people. But that's not how the gospel was accomplished. That's not how it came about. Instead it was promised beforehand and then fulfilled in person let me explain in the beginning after god created everything good adam broke god's commandment bringing sin and death into the world but before adam and eve were exiled from the garden god gave them a promise he promised them a savior the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head and restore peace later God promised Abraham and the patriarch that he would bring blessing to the world through the seed of promise uh, and through the seed of Abraham. And then we see this promise um, expanded on, echoed, and then fulfilled in part throughout the remainder of the Old Testament. And then at just the right time, Jesus himself comes to earth to accomplish what was promised beforehand. But how exactly did he do that? How did he accomplish the work? And I would put to you today that he accomplished it through his walk. And so let's touch on some high points of the gospel just to see how Jesus walked and that led to our redemption. Uh, when the fullness of time had come, Philippians 2 tells us that he laid aside his glory and was born in the likeness of men, taking on the form of a servant rather than a nobleman or political ruler. Second Corinthians tells us that he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. The Gospels show us that he ate and drank with sinners and social outcasts because he came to seek and save the lost. In the Gospels, we learn that Jesus preached good news to the poor and met their physical needs because he ministered to the whole person. By obeying God perfectly and fulfilling the law, Ephesians 2 says that Jesus abolished the ceremonial aspects of the law that caused hostility between Jews and Gentiles so that we could become one people. In John 13, he modeled true love by washing the disciples' feet and giving us an example to follow, and then he showed us the full extent of that meaning when he went to the cross to wash away our sins. And unlike the first Adam, who disobeyed in the garden and brought death into the world, Jesus, the second Adam, submitted to God in the garden, saying, not my will, but yours be done, and then he obeyed God by dying on a tree to provide eternal life. And Jesus did all this so that those who believe in him could be born again, justified, filled with the Spirit, adopted into God's family, and given absolute security in his love, all of which empowers us to walk like Jesus did. And so how do we see this reflected uh, in Paul's life? Let's look at his life before the Gospel, which appears in verses 13 through 16, and I'm reading from the ESV. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now we can see at least three things here. Um, First is that before the gospel, Paul was driven by selfish ambition. One commentator says... As the protege of the famous Jewish theologian Gamaliel, Paul was no doubt regarded as the rising star of Pharisaic Judaism. This entire passage is full of superlative words that speak of Paul's compulsive obsession and ambition. And I would say that many of us know what it's like to be driven or we know someone who is that driven and we know that if you keep that up over an extended period of time, it leads to burnout, anxiety, stress, health issues, and broken relationships. What else can we learn about Paul? Well, we see that he was zealous for his religious tradition, but not for people. Acts 8.3 tells us that, quote, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You see, their cries for mercy didn't move him, nor did the thought of their family's well-being. All that mattered was the protection and preservation of the traditions finally we learn that paul was so spiritually blinded that he was willing to kill for his beliefs thinking he was serving god by doing so now what i find interesting here is that paul who undoubtedly knew the old testament like the back of his hand either overlooked or misinterpreted the passages speaking about god's plan to rescue the whole world both jew and gentile through the seed of abraham the son of david and the Son of Man, who after suffering would receive dominion, glory, and an eternal kingdom comprised of all peoples, nations, and tongues. You see, sin blinds us to the reality of what God is doing in the world. But what happened after his encounter with Jesus? Acts 9 tells us that the Lord sent Ananias to pray for Paul. And when he did, verse 18 says, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then sometime later, we read these words words that we find in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians. He says, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And so after walking with the Lord for some time, we see even more evidence of change in Paul's life. We see him walking in line with the truth of the gospel. And we're gonna uh, pick up some of those highlights in verses one through 10 of chapter two. And please read along with me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, And from those who seem to be influential what they were makes no difference to me God shows no partiality those I say who seem to be influential added nothing to me on the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised uh, skip down to verse 9 and when James and Cephas uh, and John Who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to them circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so, what can we learn about Paul's walk now from these passages? Well, first, I think that because Paul's gospel came directly from Christ, It gave him confidence in his truthfulness and security in his relationships with God and with others. In other words, Paul knew he was loved and walking in line with the truth so he could be bold in proclaiming and defending the gospel despite people's opinions. What do I mean by that? Paul had several things that might count against him in that day. Uh, Some people said that he was not impressive in person, that he wasn't a good speaker, uh, and a lot of people were trying to tear him down in order to malign the message. And there's an interesting description of Paul that comes from a second century apocryphal letter, and I think it sheds some light on what Paul had to overcome, at least in terms of uh, people's opinions of his physical appearance. One commentator says the word Paul in Greek literally means small or little. The earliest physical description we have of Paul comes from the Acts of Paul and Thecla, a second century apocryphal writing that describes the apostle as, quote, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked full of friendliness. Although these words were written many years after his death, they may well reflect an authentic tradition about his likeness. You see, but what people thought of Paul's physical appearance about his body uh, didn't matter to him anymore. The gospel gave him confidence because he knew he was loved and that the message he had changed lives. So too, the gospel tells us that we are beautiful and beloved even when the world, social media, and even those closest to us say otherwise. What else changed in Paul's walk? Well, in verses one through four, we can see that the gospel brought in Paul's relationships. Before the gospel, Paul would have never kept company with Titus, an uncircumcised Greek. But when Paul realized what Christ had accomplished through his walk by breaking down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, it freed him up to enjoy relationships with people who had radically different backgrounds. You see, the gospel gave Paul a larger family because it welcomes people from every nation and walk of life. And I would ask if we are enjoying that blessing, are we letting the gospel expand our pool of relationships? The longer we walk in step with it, the more we will see that that is the case. We also see that the gospel affected how Paul viewed those in authority which freed him from the need to be a people pleaser. And while it was true that Paul had respect for those who were apostles before him, he wasn't starstruck. His realization that God shows no partiality, either to Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, gave him balance. He could make his case before the apostles despite the accusations of the false teachers, and he could do so with authority because Paul had a balanced view of people. We can also see that the gospel freed Paul from radical individualism because he now saw himself as an integral part of God's community. In Galatians 2.5, Paul says, quote, to them, that is the false brothers, we do not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, Paul knew that his life wasn't about him. And that his actions whether public or private affected the body of the uh, the body of christ and so being a member of the body compelled him to defend the body from this virus he had his brothers and sisters in mind finally in verse 10 we see that the gospel gave paul heart for the poor and we don't have time to go into much detail here but the gospel is good news for the poor because the values of god's kingdom call us to righteous living which includes caring for the poor, sick, and vulnerable. We can read more about that in Matthew 25. Lots to think about there, but we have to move on to Peter. What happened when he lost sight of the gospel and forgot the great story he was a part of? Uh, Let's read verses 11 through 16 together. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And so what happened to Peter? Well, because it says that he was fearing the circumcision party, we can see that when he came under duress, he lost sight of the gospel and returned to old habits. Paul says that before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. One commentator says, the most natural reading suggests that Peter was no longer observing the Old Testament food laws and was eating meals with Gentiles. Such behavior on his part fits with the vision he received in Acts 10, 9 through 16. Such behavior would be troubling and even scandalous to most Jews. And so before these men came, Peter may have been eating BLTs with the homies and enjoying his newfound freedom in Christ. But when pressure arose, he focused on circumstances, lost sight of the gospel, and gave in to fear. In other words, when the waves churned, Peter lost sight of Christ and he began to sink. He forgot to stand firm on Christ's finished work and it threatened his relationships. What else can we learn? By not keeping the gospel front and center, Peter's life began to tell a different story. You see, by pulling away from his Gentile brothers and sisters, Peter began saying something else. He was now saying that the Gentiles weren't acceptable to God or him unless they became circumcised and kept the dietary laws. Peter's walk was saying that Christ's work was no longer sufficient because he let circumstances cloud his vision. Now, I'm not a huge baseball fan, uh, but what I do know is that the Cubs had the longest uh, World uh, Series drought in baseball history but what I didn't know is how they almost lost the 2016 World Series by forgetting who they were and the story they'd become a part of. The story goes like this. It was the seventh inning of game seven of the 2016 World Series. The Cubs were leading six to three, and they hoped, bringing in the dominant relief pitcher, Aroldis Chapman would seal the victory and break their long-time curse. An Indians double, and a two-run home run later, and the game was tied. Cleveland had the momentum, and the Cubby faithful had the all too familiar, here's where the wheels fall off and the curse is still alive despair. Sensing deflated and even defeated spirits in the Cubs' dugout, Cubs right fielder Jason Hayward called his team together to passionately exhort them to quote, remember who you are. Hayward reminded the Cubs of their identity as the best regular season team in baseball. They were victors in the playoffs and a team that came back from a three-games-to-one deficit to force game seven. It was their game to win as much as it was to lose. Invigorated and inspired by a fresh dose of truth, the Cubby bats rallied for two go-ahead runs in the top of the tenth. They could have accepted inevitable defeat, but instead they charged ahead, fueled by the truth of who they were and they won their first World Series in 108 years. My point is that when we remember who we are and the story that we are now a part of, it produces powerful changes in our lives. Back to Peter. When he lost sight of the gospel, he went into self-preservation mode, forgetting that his sin affected not only himself, but the entire family of God. After he drew back, Paul says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see, in Christ, we are a new people, a new humanity. We are not islands unto ourselves, and the way we live affects the body. So the gospel calls us to look out for the good of others and one another. As we saw with Peter, however, we also tend to forget our narrative. We tend to forget our story, and so we need other believers to help us when we lose our step, just like Paul did with Peter. You See, because of Paul's confidence in the gospel and because he knew he'd been entrusted with it by God, he was able to call Peter into account. He reminded him of who he was in Jesus and showed him that he was out of step with the truth. And Peter's silence here speaks volumes, showing that he eventually repented and realigned himself with the gospel. And so how can we keep in step with the gospel? I have a few thoughts. First, remember who you are. Remember that you are deeply loved and accepted and secure in Christ if you're a believer, and that God will not unadopt you. Remember what Jesus did for you, and that your justification is not based on your sanctification. In other words, don't confuse your who with your do. And while it's true that we are called to grow in holiness and serve others in love, we do so because we are accepted before God, not in order to be accepted. It's like the song says, right, God's new mercies are new every morning. Remember that you are now part of a worldwide community. You belong to God and his people who are now comprised of people from every social class, nation, race, and tongue. We are all on equal footing before God. And because he made us one in Christ, we must pursue unity amidst our diversity. Number four, remember that you need not fear people or be a people pleaser, but only God, who is already pleased with you because of Jesus and who now, now calls you to live in light of your new identity. Remember that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that he empowers you to live for Christ. Yield to his promptings and follow his lead. And I wanna just note briefly here that sometimes that means that he is leading us to counseling or to a a program to recover uh, from addiction. There are lots of ways, lots of things that the Lord has to clear out of our lives so that we can walk more in line with the truth of the gospel. And so I'm not trying to uh, promote an easy-believing kind of gospel here that you just remember uh, the story and everything will be right. It takes time. It takes time for God's love and acceptance to work its way down into our hearts. It takes the work of other people and the help of other people to help us clear roadblocks so that we can walk straight in line with the truth. But the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us in this and who helps make it work. Number six, remember how the story goes from beginning to end. Meditate on the gospel story often and internalize it because the world is also telling a story. No matter where you go, what you watch on TV, even the way buildings are designed, they're telling us a story, they're promoting other gods, and they're always, the world is always trying to draw us back into our old ways of living and thinking. And so let the gospel permeate your mind. Finally, help your brothers and sisters when they forget. Remind them of who they are with loving words and deeds. I need you, and you need me. And so here is a suggestion for the week. I thought of calling it homework, but I knew that would instantly turn people's uh, thinking off here. Just a suggestion. At some point during the day, preferably in the morning, but any time is good, remind yourself of who you are and the story you are a part of by bringing Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 to mind. It says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is his story and that is our story. And the way we live tells people who we're following. Amen? Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, Lord. I ask that you would continue to help us to get more in line with the truth of the gospel, Lord. Help us uh, by the power of your spirit and other believers, Lord, to clear out roadblocks and, Father, to um, see more clearly the story that we are a part of. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Uh, would you please stand for our final song? Amen.